And um, essentially what we're looking at here is this is week four of this Growing Pain series. What I want to ask, though, at first, and, and answer this question to yourself or out loud if you like. I may even ask some of these kids to answer out loud just because I'm curious. But what does it mean to be a grown-up? What does it mean to be a grown-up? Does anybody have an idea? You're responsible. You're responsible? What, what does it mean to be a grown-up? Go ahead, give me an answer. They won't get mad at you. I promise. None of you want to answer? Oh, come on. Somebody. Even the one that would always answer ain't answering back there. So, what does it mean to be a grown-up? I know they all have an idea. <laughs> She's pointing at Richie. <laughs> so, everybody, to be a grown-up, you have to look like him. Okay. <laughs> but, no, I, that was asked of some eight-year-old, seven- and eight-year-old children. Uh, or five to eight year old children, and some of the answers that were gotten were um, you're a grown up when your clothes don't fit anymore, <laughs> or grown out when your clothes don't fit anymore. One of those two. Uh, another one said that being a grown up meant that they were able to ride a bike with no training wheels and having no one running along beside you. So I guess when you're nine, you're a grown up, right? Or maybe earlier, I don't know. I, but <laughs> so you're still not a grown up, is that what you're <laughs> Another one said you can cross the street by yourself and run your own bathwater. Right. So you know, and then another said when you get scared in the night and don't have to run to mommy's room. <laughs> so, you know, kids have a twisted idea of what it means to be an adult. I'm not really fond of the next one, but Actually, I'm not sure anybody will be. Uh, when you're 30. You're 30, you're an adult. <laughs> so, uh, you know, of course, when you're, when you're younger, you're like, when I'm 18, I'm an adult. And then you get past it and you're like, okay, 30 sounds great. <laughs> when I'm 21, I'm an adult. 30 sounds great right now. Um, <clears throat> another... Another child said, when you're a mom, when you stop growing old, when you go to work. These are all answers that were given by children. <laughs> Another one said, when you have wrinkles on your face and you look in the mirror and say, oh, no. <laughs> so that's when you're an adult. But that is, you know, it, it sounds like there's some truth in some of those. I mean, we all kind of have that experience in our lives. We all understand what it means to grow older. The thing is, really what we've discovered over the last three weeks is I think God had some different ideas as far as what it means to grow up, what it means. And that's why I called it growing pains is because over the last few weeks, what we've talked about is getting older. And yes, it's going to be a painful experience sometimes. When we grow in our faith, it is a painful experience sometimes. Sometimes we go through some situations that we would rather not go through. Sometimes we face difficulties that we would rather not face. Sometimes we lose loved ones that we would rather not lose. Sometimes things happen. 
that we would rather not see happen. That being said, what it all comes back to is simply this. We've learned over these past few weeks that being an adult Christian is one who seeks to be like their father in heaven. To be perfect or mature as your father in heaven. You know, I did talk about that a couple weeks ago, saying that, you know, perfection doesn't necessarily mean flawless. And I talked about it in that way, not necessarily, you know, it's just a striving that we do. It doesn't necessarily mean, it means that God has made you perfect. You know, we talked about being perfect in our faith and how the blood of Christ works and how that situation takes place in our hearts and in our lives. We also talked about being an adult Christian means to be a servant to others. We talked about how they realize that they are a minister of God. That their life should be a ministry. One who has a job to do and does it. And last week we talked about finding someone else to teach. About continuing that trend of growing and being mature in our speech and teaching others, teaching someone, bringing someone under our wing. You know, it may not mean that you get up in front of a church, but it could mean that maybe like Nick and Kyle, you know, maybe Nick brings Kyle under his wing to teach him or Kyle brings Nick under his wing to teach him. You know, those things happen. We bring someone under our wing, we teach them, and we bring them along in the faith. So as we come to today, here's the thing. And and if you look in the bulletin, you see that I I, I put be like Christ or imitators of Christ or uh, I'm not exactly sure the exact wording. Becoming like Christ, I think is what I put. Um, But, you know, that that was kind of actually a little misleading. I realized that this morning after I got to looking at and thinking and praying a little more about the sermon, I realized Maybe it was a little misleading to say it that way, but maybe it's not. But see, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we're going to be at today because this week we're going to examine something. We're going to examine one last trait of a mature, grown-up Christian. And when you hear what I'm reading and when you listen to the rest of the sermon and when you take it to heart, you're going to understand what I mean. But starting in verse 12, of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, we can look at the wording here and we can look at what Paul is saying and we can take this in the wrong way. Now, why would Paul tell them to imitate him? Well, because that would be an actual example that they might have seen. Because Paul is imitating Christ and he even says so here too, but Paul is imitating Christ. 
Let's, let's look at this for a moment. In the passage, Paul wants the Corinthians to imitate him because he was their father figure. He was basically the father of their church through Christ. Through what God had allowed him to do. He was the one who basically, if we look at it, you talk about the founding members of a church or a founding father of a nation. We, we, hear, that, we hear that term thrown around a lot, especially at Independence Day. And uh, you talk about the founding fathers. You talk about what they did. You talk about, you know, but they all have a name and we all know who they are. Well, Paul was in essence that for the Corinthians. And he wanted them to imitate him because life, because of his life being the example of Christ to them. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses here, and I'm probably going to butcher this, mimeton. M-I-M-A-T-A-N. Sounds good to me. We'll go with that. If Blake finds out I'm wrong, he'll let me know. Uh, but from that's where we get our word mimic or uh, imitate. It's where we kind of get the word mimic or imitate, which basically leads us to this. This word is repeated several times in Scripture, and it's an expression of an important biblical concept. So I want to look at a couple more verses where that word actually shows up. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul writes, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In Philippians 4, 9, he advises, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. So uh, Peter in 1 Peter 5, 3, tells elders that their job must be to lead, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You see, this word is very important when it comes to the word of God. And, in, and, and you know, in case the idea is lost on the church, Hebrews, God, you know, I guess the only way I can say it is God tells them in Hebrews because we don't necessarily know who the writer is. But it says, remember your leaders who spoke the words of God to you. Consider the outcome of their ways of life and imitate their faith. That's in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Philippians 3, 17, Paul again says, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Now, what does that mean? What does that say for us? Our objective is to get to the point of maturity where we can be an example to someone else. Our objective in our life, our number one goal as Christians should be to get to the point of maturity, to get to that point where maturity has been reached so that others can see Christ in us. To where we can safely look at someone else and say, if you want to know how to do it, look at my life and live that life. I can think of folks who could do that that I know of. You know, Billy Graham was that way. You know, when you look at the life of Billy Graham, you, you could safely assume that Billy Graham could look at someone and say, mimic me. You know, I hope that my life is that way. We mess up day to day. It's, it, it happens. We make mistakes. But I hope that you can look at the example I set. I hope that we can look at the example each other sets and that we can see Christ at work. You know, there's, 
There's days where maybe we don't look like that example. But it's not about being that necessarily. What it is, is it's about striving to be that example. Yeah, we all get bad news one day. We all go through those difficult times. But folks, I'm going to tell you right now, messing up on purpose is a problem. And we see it happen day in and day out in the world around us today. Uh, well, you know, God knows my heart. That's great. He does. But does everybody else? Because if you can't show it to anyone else, then God also sees what everybody else sees. You see, there's that out of the heart the mouth speaks. If you don't look like Christ to the rest of the world, there's a good chance you don't look like Christ to anyone. Now think about that. Real hard for a moment. If you don't look like Christ to the rest of the world, do you really think you look like Christ to God? Because isn't it our example that is setting the, the example for others to see so that they want to be like Christ? Because some of them have maybe never come into contact. That's why I used to, I used to not really like this statement, but I've learned that it's very kind of true. Over and over in my life, I've seen it happen to the point where I've seen the good and bad side of it. One where, where someone's saying, you know, you might be the only Jesus that someone else sees. You might be the only Jesus that someone else sees. Does that mean that they're seeing Jesus? Well, I hope it means that they're seeing an example like him in your life. Kind of like Paul mentions here to the church. Be imitators of me as I imitate and follow you see, okay, so what that looks like here is basically this. The most obvious way to become example, to find a position of responsibility where we can actually teach and do that, right? The most obvious way would be for us to get involved. We're having board elections in just a few weeks. The most obvious way for us to look like Christ and to serve the church and to serve others and to see an example happen is to step up and say, hey, I would like to be part of that board. That's the most obvious example of how we can take a step forward. Or maybe it's teaching a Sunday school class. You know, maybe it's stepping up as a leader in certain areas. It doesn't matter. Maybe it's heading a committee. I don't know that we have committees yet at all. But if we did, you know, I'm just saying maybe it's teaching a youth Sunday school class. Maybe it's teaching a children's church or, a, you know, there's a lot of things. That stepping up and becoming an example looks like. Because when you assume a leadership role, immediately it puts you in a position to be viewed. One of the toughest places to be is in that leadership role. Because everyone is looking at you for the answer. Everyone wants to know how you feel about a situation. Everyone wants to call you for advice. Everyone wants to, to for lack of a better term... Henpick your life. <laughs> I experience not necessarily here. I experience it more uh, at the radio station sometimes where I get phone calls. It's like, well, you know this and you know that. And, it, and it's like, you know, little tiny things. Well, you didn't speak to me at Ingalls the other day. I didn't see you. I'm sorry. But that happens. They henpick. They, they look for the little things and they try to tear you apart. You know, we could do those things. 
We could start an in-home Bible study. We could start doing some of these things to, you know, allow all of this to become um, part of who we are. But reality is that that's not the only way that we need to exemplify Christ. We can think about work when you're close to retiring or when someone is or or maybe like a bus route. Joe, you can give us an example of this. When you're driving a bus route, since you're a substitute driver, this actually is more helpful. What do you have to do to learn a route? Do you have to ride with the person or sometimes you just have to wing it? Sometimes you just have to wing it. But, but in reality, what you would like to do is what? Ride with someone for what purpose? Exactly. Kind of like a mentor. You get on a bus with the driver who normally drives that route, knows the stops, can tell you where to turn, can talk you through the entire process of a bus route. The same thing happens with us in church. Typically, they will place someone under you as a mentor or a mentee. You know, January, on the radio, we've been talking Western Youth Network, talking about National Mentoring Month, which is January. So it's a perfect time to think about this. But what you think about is when you take someone under your wing, you know, this is a parent-child relationship in some ways. Taking someone into your life and allowing them to be a follower, so to speak. They, they see you. But when we think about the parent-child thing, I mean... What do children do? How do they learn to live? How do they learn the life that's before them? They imitate what they see. They walk around in dad's shoes. You know, they stumble around in dad's shoes is more like it. But you see a kid, but then you also realize what kids see at home when you see them in the world. I mean, how many of you have ever been completely surprised by a five-year-old cursing up a storm? Because I have. But then when you meet mom and dad, you find out why. Because that's all they've ever heard. Folks, kids learn by mimicking. And Christians also learn by mimicking. It's, it's not an a coincidence that we're called children of God because growing up in the faith is a lot like growing up. You start out on milk. You start out as a newborn. You start out with everybody coddling you and taking care of you and making sure that you're uh, well taken care of. See, the example that I can use today is the world. Because here's the funny part about how it's all worked out. This whole thing they call millennialism this whole thing where they talk about people being millennials are people who are still on the milk and they've never made it to the meat of the world. Well, Christians kind of started that. It's in the scripture. We talked about it a few weeks ago. We're still on the milk and we're not diving deep into the word because we're not maturing in our faith. So maybe maturity goes with our faith. The fact that the world doesn't even realize what it means to move past that stage where people give you things, where people hand it out to you, where people turn it into, you know, the world owes me this. If your child, if your child at 18 told you that you still owed them everything, would they still be in your home? 
I mean, some of them maybe. But if your child at 21, at 30, let's go with 30. Since 30 is an adult, we'll go with 30. At 30 years old, if your child comes into your house and says that you owe them everything that you make and that you have to support them and they don't need a job and they don't need to do this and they don't need to do that, what is going to happen? Parents, somebody, anybody? I already know the answer to it. I mean, I'll give it to you if you want. They are not going to be in your house long. Am I right? You'll give them, you might give them a couple of days and say, look, no, in the couple of days you stay in here, you go figure this out. You go get a job. You go do this and this and this. But if you're only going to come here and try to live under my roof and not give back, we gave you 18 years. What more do you want? You know? See, there's that. We gave you, you know, some parents 25. Some parents might give you 30. But at some point, you've got to cut the tie. You've got to cut it off and send them out into the world for them to have their own experience on me and not just continue spoon-feeding the milk to the child. You see what I'm saying? Too many times the world has felt like it was owed something. And now it's turned into something that has made it completely difficult to even understand. If we do that in the church, our faith never grows. If we do that in the church, if we continue to spoon feed the young Christians, they never get the opportunity to learn and grow and become what they're supposed to be. They never get the opportunity to experience the call in their own life because all they ever know is, well, me and God, we got this worked out. Me and God, we got this thing, we got this thing beat, we got this thing taken care of. So as we look at this, if you are a teacher or a person with a ministry within the church, find someone who you can mentor and someone who you can train to do what you do. I mean, in reality, you know, with the elections for the board coming up, we kind of need someone who can do what those guys do. And I would encourage you, Pray about stepping up. Pray about becoming more mature in your faith. Let's get off this milk and let's dive deep within the word of God today. Let's look at the scripture real quickly before we close. It says this in verse 12. We work hard with our own hands. One of the things that Paul wanted the the Corinthians to imitate was his work ethic. You know, he also wrote... In 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 9, we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. Are you setting that example for others in the faith? Are you working in the church? Are you serving in the building? Are you doing something to set an example for those who are coming behind? What do the future generations see in you? Verses 12 through 13 says, when we were, when we were cursed, we bless. When we were persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. That's verses 12 through 13 of, second, of 1 Corinthians 4. In other words, Paul wanted the Corinthians to mimic his response to unfair and deceitful people. 
He wanted the Corinthians to understand that when people curse you, bless them. He wanted them to basically understand the love your enemies. Love the ones who curse you. Show them love, compassion, care. And maybe somehow by your example, they will come to know Christ in their own lives. You see, there's a lot more to that statement of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It doesn't say do unto others as they have done unto you. It doesn't say treat others the way they treat you. It essentially says treat others the way you would like them to treat you. Because that is the example of how you would like to be treated. And if that is a good example, somewhere along the way, that's going to be returned to you. And it's going to be returned to you. And you're going to continue to return that to others. And you're not going to find yourself in that situation. You know, too often Christians behave like the motorist in the song uh, that we play at the radio station called Road Rage by Sunday Drive. I don't know how many of you have heard it. The chorus is the one that says, honk if if you love Jesus twice if you go to church, three more times if you want to get to heaven. And it talks about this guy getting behind him at a red light and hitting the horn and just going crazy on the horn. And him getting mad and yelling at him and not really being the nicest guy. Then he gets to church and the guy that was behind him was the visiting preacher. And all of a sudden he realizes what the bumper sticker said. If he had a bumper sticker that says honk if you love Jesus and somebody honks, you better not wave at him like they do in California. See what I'm saying? If you're going to put that out there as to who you are, then set the example. What is it that that, uh, Paul told Timothy? Set the example for them in speech. And in love and in purity. You know, don't let them look down on you because you are young. It doesn't matter how old you are in physical terms. Because in spiritual terms, we may grow at a different rate. We may understand a little better. We need to teach a love for God and a love for His Word when we are working through these things in our hearts and in our lives. And when we're setting this example, basically what we need to understand is that we can imagine the effect that our behavior has on others. You know, it's, it's good to talk the talk, but it's a whole lot better to walk the walk. Let me tell you a little story about Abraham Lincoln real quickly. When he was growing up, his mother had a powerful effect on how he saw God. At the age of two, until he was nine when she died... He heard her repeat to him the stories from the Bible and repeating to him the teachings from the scripture. When she was on her deathbed, she called him over and told him, I'm going away from you, Abraham, and I shall not return. I know you will be a good boy. I want you to live as I have taught you, to love your heavenly father and keep his commandments. And he promised her that he would. You see, the promise that he made made all the difference in how he handled situations in life from that point forward. And in fact, you know, it even eventually led him through the darkest moments in our history as he was the president during the Civil War. So if we think about that and the effect that that might have had on the fact that his mother just simply wanted to see him succeed, so she taught him the right way. What did Proverbs 22, 6 Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from you. 
or he will not depart from it, not you. But, you know, today, the thing of it really comes down to when we're teaching someone, maybe if you're a Sunday school teacher or you have been in the past, you understand this. Sometimes you teach <coughs> Sometimes you teach the same stories. When you're, when you're growing up with kids, sometimes you tell them the same Bible stories over and over and over. And repetition sometimes can get old. Sometimes it might seem like I'm preaching on the same topic every week. Or it might pre- seem like we're preaching on the same things over and over and over again. But if I'm enthusiastic about it, what does that do to you? If I'm teaching the same thing every week, but I'm still excited about it, what does that do for you? What does it do for your faith? Because that's where it is. Because I, I remember reading something that a guy wrote one time and he said, I never minded them telling the same stories over and over because they didn't mind telling it. You know, if you think about it in that way, no, I never minded hearing the same stories over and over. I can tell you who my teachers were that told them to me too. But as I look back, even over my years of school, I don't remember the teachers that weren't excited about their life. They weren't excited about their things. I can only remember a few classes from when I was in high school. But I do remember the teachers that made an impact, that were excited about what they did, and that taught me in that way. You know, too often people regard the message of the church just like they do the Sunday newspaper, which doesn't exist anymore for the most part. But think about this for a moment. How many of you are old enough to remember the old newspapers that used to come out on Sunday? You ever remember there being blank pages in the Sunday paper? You don't have to give away your age here. Because at one point in history, and it may be a lot older than most of us, I don't have a date on this, but I do know this. The history of newspaper, they used to put blank pages in. Why? So that somebody could read the paper, and then if they had news to put in, they could write it in, and then they used to hand the paper off and pass it down the block pass it around the town to friend to friend because they would read the news and then they would see the news that their neighbor had put in because it was a good way to pass information one to another. You know, then came the party line on the telephone where everybody on the same road had the same phone line so Pat could listen to Brenda and Lamar's conversation at the end of the road and they wouldn't know it. But, <laughs> but you know, that, that really didn't happen all too often. But, I mean, it did happen. I don't know about for Pat for sure, but it did happen. I've heard stories about how you couldn't have any private business on your road because that would happen. The model that God wants His church to be like is a lot like that Sunday paper. It's a lot like that where we mentor someone we give them the stories to read we hand them the bible but while we hand them the bible we've also maybe written in the margins and they see that in the way we live out our life because they see that we're like paul we're not only just telling them about it we're living it out if we're not living out what we're talking about people are going to be less likely to follow the path they need to follow folks You know how hard it is. If you see someone who you looked up to in the faith who doesn't appear to be living out the life that they have told you they're living, 
Do you really want to count anything else they say as gospel? Do you really want to count anything else they say as an example? Do you really want to listen to any more that they have to share with you? Because today I want to encourage you. The model God wants us to set for the church is in how we work. It's in how we live. And it's in how we follow Jesus. It's in how we work, how we live, and how we follow Jesus. Paul told the Corinthians, imitate me. Why was Paul so confident in that? Because he knew he was following Christ. Joe can look at the church and say, imitate me, because he knows how he's following Christ. You know, we can look at it in that way. Anyone who will step up and say, this is how it needs to be, not because I'm saying it, but because you see me living it, they know what spiritual maturity is all about. They have grown up in their faith. So today, as we close this out, I just want to tell a quick story about a missionary in India. This missionary had gone into the church and was speaking to the people in the church. It was a women's retreat or a women's service of some sort. Halfway through the lesson, he was preaching to these Hindu ladies and he, and he got halfway through this and one of the women got up and walked out the back. I've had people walk out in service on a Sunday morning, so, um, you know, sometimes you wonder, well, what did I say wrong? What happened there? What, what took place? A short time later, she came back in. But when she came back in, he could see that she was more intent on listening to every word the man had to say. On the edge of her seat, just listening, taking it all in and just eating it up. Now, I don't know that I've ever had anybody actually re like return unless they stayed in the building somewhere. But in this situation, I mean, she had walked out the door and then comes back in and she listens all the more to what he is saying. Well, when the, when the hour had ended and the leader had closed the meeting, he walked over to the woman and he said, why did you leave during the meeting? Were you not interested? And the lady replied to him, yes, I was interested. I got up and I walked out to go ask your driver if you lived out what you say. And when he said yes, I came back and paid attention to every word. You see, that's the example we're setting for others. Because she was so impressed with the answer. She was so impressed that the driver of this man said, yes, he lives it out. He walks the walk. He carries it through that she turned around and she went back and she heard every bit of the message. Why does Paul have so many letters in the New Testament? Why does he have so many churches that looked up to him as his example or as their example, as their father of the church? Because Paul lived the message. And when Timothy was asked, or when Barabbas might have been at, or Barnabas, not Barabbas. Barabbas may not have known. I don't know. He maybe did. I, I hope so. But when Barnabas was asked, when Silas was asked, when all of these people were asked, does Paul live this out at home? Their answer was yes. Because Paul didn't want to be disqualified. And I don't want us to be disqualified either. 
Are you living what you say you are? Are you being the example you say you should be? Are you telling others how to live and then doing it? That's what it comes down to today. As we wrap things up this morning, if you have a decision to make on that, make it. But I'm going to tell you right now, we've got to start living a mature life in Christ. We've got to start imitate, being someone that others can imitate. Why? Because they can see Christ in us. You see why I titled it Becoming Like Christ? It doesn't have to be us following his earthly example. We didn't see that. But we know someone who did. We know that there's been examples passed down. We have the word of God right here in our hand. We talked about the availability of Bibles this morning. So yes, we do have that example that we can follow. And if that's the only way we can go, then fine. But I can tell you people in my life who live that life for me. I can tell you that my father... Jim Green, my earthly father, let me put it that way. Jesus said not to call anyone else father. My dad, my, my earthly dad, the one who raised me, I saw that in him. I can tell you that Blake and Nicholas see that in Lamar. Joe's kids see it in him. I hope everyone in here can say that they see that in them. You know, the example that is set, the example that is set in your own home, the example that is set in the people that you come across, when people see you, do they see something different? Or do they just say, well, here he goes, running off at the mouth again about nonsense because he believed that he would live it. If she believed it, she would act out on it. What do people say when they see you? What do people say when they get down to the nitty gritty, when they get past the words that you share? What do people say when they see the example you're setting for them in their everyday life? Hopefully they say, you know what, I should listen to what they say a little more because what they do goes along with what they say. If someone were to ask somebody in your life, do they really live that out? And that was the binding point on to whether they listen to you from then on or they walk away never knowing the truth. What would that person say to them? What would someone say about you today to someone else? If you leave here today without thinking about that question and you take it out the door with you and you don't get another chance, that's on you. Because your chance is now. We're going to sing one verse just as I am. But if you have a decision to make and you need to come forward, then by all means, come forward. Because I don't want to see anyone leave here today feeling like they haven't been touched by the hand of God, like they aren't living an example. And it starts with us just simply stepping up and saying, that's the life I want to live. I know what people may have seen to this point, but from this point forward, let's make sure they see Christ in me. Because I want them to be able to imitate me, just like I imitate him. Because I want to be able to look at someone and say that. And I hope you do too. Stand number 201.